Amen. I get goosebumps on that one. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read one verse that's going to set the scene and going to really set our minds on what we're going to be looking at today. And let me just say, for many of you who are here who have been in church all your life, the last thing you need this morning is another sermon. And that's why I'm praying that God would give you a word from Him. That I could just be a faithful messenger boy, proclaim the word, and you won't hear a sermon, but you'll hear a word from God. And there is a difference, by the way. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, one verse. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. I'm going to make some statements. They may just sound like a bunch of words to you unless you're really paying attention. And the statement I'm going to make, I'm going to make several of them, really say the same thing several different ways, can be the key to your walking in victory. Now listen carefully. You will never live beyond your belief. You will never live beyond your belief. Or to put it another way, your belief system will determine your behavior. Or to put it even another way, who you believe you are will determine what you do. Now, it's to believe that God says who you are in Christ and then to accept that, that gives you the victory. And let me tell you, the Christian life is not, are you listening? The Christian life is not a struggle to become someone. By the grace of God, God says, here's who you are in my Son, now act like, live out, Walk like who you are. Or is it, as in second, or in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Now, I've never spent a great deal of time studying fleas, but some people evidently do, because I read this. And they say you can take a bunch of fleas and you can put them in a jar. You put a lid on the jar. And when you do that, the fleas who are known for their jumping ability, will begin to jump. And as they jump, their head hits the top of the jar. And they jump, kaboom, jump, kaboom, jump, kaboom. And after a while, it sinks in, this doesn't feel well. And they quit jumping. And then they tell us that you can take that same jar with the same fleas and you can take the lid off. But the fleas, which can now easily jump out, will starve to death in the jar. Why? Because what you believe determines how you behave. If you ever go to a circus and have the opportunity to go behind the scenes and look at the elephants in the circus, you know what you'll find? You'll find that those elephants are kept in place by a little bitty chain around their leg tied to a stake in the ground, a chain that those powerful elephants could snap like you could snap a toothpick in two. And yet they never escape. They're always there. You say, why? Well, 
When a little baby elephant is born, they take a chain, tie it to its leg, tie it to a stake in the ground, and the little elephant, without its muscles developed and without its strength, will strain and pull, and he can't get loose. And pretty soon, that little elephant believes that chain is stronger than I am. It is going to hold me here. I cannot get loose. Then the elephant grows, and it gains strength. And soon it reaches a place where it could just snap the chain right in two, but it never tries. Why? Because what you believe determines what you do. Victor Serebriakov was 15 years old, a high school student. And he had a teacher who told him that he was incapable of finishing school and it'd be better for everybody if he'd just drop out and learn a trade. And so he took his teacher's advice. And for 17 years after that, Victor simply did itinerant job, did odd jobs as an itinerant. He would just go here to there. And through his life, he had been told he was a dunce, and so he let that belief control his behavior. But when he was 32 years of age, something amazing happened to Victor Serebriakov. An evaluation indicated that he had an IQ of 161, which made him a genius. And since that time, Victor Serebriakov has written several books. He holds several patents. And he's now a very successful businessman. Now, did Victor Serebriakov change overnight? No. What he believed about himself changed overnight. Your belief determines your behavior. And you will never live beyond your belief. Now, listen carefully. This book is truth. And what it says is the way it is. This is the standard. This is truth without any mixture of error. And let me tell you what this book says about you. And it may disagree with what you feel. And it may disagree with what you've always been told. And it may disagree with what you just deep down, deep inside have always thought. But this book is truth. And this book says that if you have never been to the cross, I don't care if you're a member of this church or any other church. I don't care if you've been baptized so many times your skin's all shriveled up. I don't care how many confirmation classes you may have gone through. If you've never been to the cross, humbling yourself and reaching out with the hand of faith, receiving Jesus and what He did for you on the cross into your life, then this book says you are lost, you are dead toward God, a spirit that's dead toward God, you are, in the words of Ephesians 2.1, living in a state of being dead in trespasses and sins. That, my friend, is the truth. But this same book says that if you have been to the cross, and there in humility, receiving the Lord Jesus and all He has done for you, then this book says that there are some things that are true of you. And this is what this series has been all about. There is a new identity that you now have. Now, let me summarize it for you. This book, which is truth, says that if you're in Christ Jesus, first of all, you have been regenerated. That is, you have been rebirthed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things will become new. This book, which is truth, says that if you're in Christ, you've been reconciled. That you who were alienated and estranged and separated from God... Now, through Christ Jesus, you've been made one with, united with, brought back into right relationship with Almighty God who created you for Himself. This book, which is truth, says 
that if you are in Christ Jesus, that you have been accepted by God because you're in Christ. And God looks down at you and He doesn't say, you've got to perform, you've got to live up to this standard, you've got to do this, and then I'll accept you. God looks down at you and He says, because you are in my Son, Ephesians 1, 6, I totally, fully, and completely accept you in the Beloved. This book, which is true, says that if you are in Christ Jesus, you've been redeemed. You've been bought out of the slave market of sin, and sin has no more right to your life. This book, which is truth, says that if you're in Christ, you have been completely and totally and absolutely forgiven of all sin. The blood of Christ has paid the payment, and you are forgiven. This book, which is true, without any mixture of errors, says that if you are in Christ, you have been justified. And that word justified means to be declared righteous by God. And God looks down at you and He says, Because of the righteousness of my Son, Jesus Christ, that has by faith been put on your account, you now stand before me righteous and holy and without blame. This book, which is truth, says about you that if you have received Jesus Christ, as we saw last week, then you, according to Romans 8, 28 and 29, have been predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And God says, you talk about security. I have marked it out beforehand. I have predetermined it. I have settled the fact that once you come to Christ, I will not stop. I will not quit. I will chip away everything in your life that is hindering Jesus from being unveiled in you. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of my Son. Now, let me tell you something. You can choose to hear all that, read all that, and say, what? I I just don't fully understand all that and... That's not, that's not the way I feel. And I want to tell you something. You can choose to do that. And I want to tell you what you're headed for. You're headed for one frustrating life, and you're already right in the middle of one, aren't you? And things are not working right. And you can rededicate. And you can rededicate your rededication. And you can rededicate the rededication of your rededication. And you can say you're going to try harder, and you're going to be on a roller coaster the rest of your spiritual life here on the earth. And you're going to be up and down, failing, and then kind of trying harder and doing a little better for a while and failing until finally you're going to be tempted and many will give in to it. You're going to settle for a settled for life. Now, you can also choose to say, Lord, I don't fully understand that, but you said it and this book's truth and I choose to believe it. And I reckon it is true and I'm going to base my life, build my behavior, claim it is true, and I'm going to live based on the fact that even though I may not always feel justified, and I may not always feel redeemed, and I may not always feel forgiven, and I may not always feel that I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. You said it, Lord, and I choose to believe it. And let me tell you, you're in for an exciting adventure, not a life without trials, not a life without troubles, but a life that is characterized by victory after victory after victory after victory. And that's what I want to speak about this morning. I want to sort of just summarize all we've said these last five messages around the fact that in Christ Jesus, I am victorious. And we're going to see this morning, now listen carefully, this may sound like a bunch of words, but it's very important. True victory is not attained, it is received. I just laid a real heavy one on you right there. True victory is not attained, it is received. And we're victorious not because we have won the victory, but because we have been baptized into, identified with, made one with the one who already won the victory 2,000 years ago. Victory is received. It is not attained. Now, 
We're going to focus in on three areas this morning. That the Bible says you have the victory. Victory over Satan and victory over sin and victory over self. Let's look first of all at victory over Satan. Now let me say up front that I believe that Satan gets way too much credit. <laughs> I said it last week and I still believe it. I think most of our battles are, 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 are more of our battles are against God than are against Satan. You know, we have this pride and self-sufficiency and independent spirit. And when we belong to the Lord, as I said last week, the Lord has some disobedient children, but He doesn't have any spoiled children. And we find ourselves constantly butting up against His purposes and His plans. And most of our battles are against Him. But having said that, let me also make very clear that I do not believe that Satan is simply a mythological character who is the personification of evil. I believe that he is real. I believe that he is literal. And that there literally is a Satan. But hey, let's don't give him any more credit than he deserves. Now let's look at his overthrow. Now here is the key to walking in victory over Satan. Here it is. The ultimate victory over Satan has already been won. And we don't combat, combat him for victory, but we fight him from victory. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. And the word destroy there means to, to loose, to sever, to break the works of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 puts it this way. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, Jesus might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, that's a different word for destroy. The word destroy there means to not to annihilate, but to render powerless, to break dominion, to take away authority. And so it says that on the cross, Jesus Christ broke, severed the power of Satan. On the cross, Jesus rendered him null and void, took away his authority so that he no longer has dominion over those who are in Christ. Now, let me give you a silly illustration. And if, if this illustration offends you, well, you can come up and give me a better one because it's kind of dumb, but it's the best I can do. Um, feel sorry for me, if you will. Um, to me, the most hideous animal that's upon the face of planet Earth, and I chill thinking about it, is a king cobra. You ever seen those things? I mean, the big old things, and they, they rear up like that, and then... I started to say they're neck, but they're all neck. I, I don't know. But anyway, right there, something goes, whoo, and that big thing goes out, and they just look at you like that. And I can look at a picture of one of those things in the newspaper and want to go hide under my bed. Uh, except then I think maybe he's under there, and and, uh, and scary. And to see him on television just gives me the creeps. Uh, now, suppose it were possible to take a king cobra and somehow put it to sleep and do an operation on it. And you could find a cobraologist somewhere. And, and, and you go in and defang him. I mean, you just cut those things right out of there. And then you find those poison glands where the poison is produced. And you, cut all, you take all the poison glands out so that there's no ability to produce poison and there are no fangs. And then you suture him back up or whatever you do to a cobra once you've cut his fangs out. And he gets better and you put him in a room with me. Now, let me tell you something. There are some facts that are going to make all the difference in the world how I respond to that. First of all, if I don't know he's been defanged, I'll, first of all, would probably die of a heart attack. 
if I didn't die of a heart attack, even if it were a room on the fifth story of a building, I'd rather take my chance with a meeting of the pavement, with the pavement outside. I'm going to jump out a five-story window to get away from it. But if somehow somebody could tell me, look, you're going in this room, there is a king cobra in the room, but he has no fangs and he has no ability to produce poison. I'm still not going to like being in there with him. And he's still creepy. But I'm not going to jump out a five-story window. And I'm not going to die of a heart attack. And as a matter of fact, if I have to stay in there with him very long, I'm going to find some blunt object and I'm going to apply it to his head and I'm going to do away with it. And if I can't find a blunt object, my size 12s will do just fine. Because all he's got over me are the fangs and the poison. And if he's been defanged, then I, I don't have any more to fear out of him. Now listen carefully. Satan was defanged at Calvary. He's still alive and well, and as Peter says, running to and fro throughout the whole, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is a bully, and he fakes people out, and he fools people, but he has no power over a believer. We've been given the victory already. You don't do something to earn that. You don't do something to gain that. You simply receive that because it's already been won. Now, that brings me to our overcoming. That's his overthrow. How about our overcoming? Well, since the victory's already been done, what do we have to, been won, what do we have to do to appropriate it? Two little words, we'll, we'll, we'll summarize it. First of all is the word stand. Listen to Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hebrews 6, 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. James says the same thing in different words. When in James 4, 7, he says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God and resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. He will flee from you. And so we make a determined decision that he will not sway us with his lies and his intimidations and his thoughts that he puts into our mind, and we choose to, choose to resist him, standing firm on the truth, putting on the whole armor, the belt of truth, the blessed breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, taking up the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we choose to not give an inch. I will not move. I will stand against him. Stand. Secondly, speak. Hebrews, or Revelation 12:11 says, And they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Now, that's not a mis... I, I hear people use that verse like it's some kind of a mysterious little hocus-pocus, you know. I plead the blood of Jesus, I pray that Satan be bound by the blood of Jesus. You've got to say all these little words. That's not some hocus-pocus little formula you quote in Revelation 12. Listen, he's simply saying that when you don't love your life unto death, that is, you've made a commitment to the Lord Jesus that said, Lord, my life is yours. I'll follow you even until physical death. That when that is true of you, and then you have, have applied the blood of Christ, which is the, the instrument of Satan's defeat, the blood is his sealed his doom, and when that's been applied to my life, then I can speak the word of my testimony that I am victorious over him. And he has no power and no authority over my life. His power and authority has been destroyed. That is, it has been annihilated in the sense of not Satan annihilated, but his authority annihilated over me. And so no believer ever has the right to say, the devil made me do it. I love the words of the song that Darla sang when it says that we... That's right out of Romans 8, 37. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. Conqueror who? Satan, for one. Then, oh, 
that blessed old song that Martin Luther wrote back so long ago, that line that says, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. And this is my favorite line of the whole song. It says, And one little word shall fell, F-E-L-L, that means knock him down, shall fell him. That's all we have. We have the sword of the Spirit. We have the victory. And so, dear friend, when it comes to the devil, don't give him more credit than he deserves. We've already been given the victory over Satan. Well, that brings me, secondly, to the fact that we have victory over sin. Now, to be able to appropriate our victory over sin, you've got to know what the Bible means by sin because a lot of people don't really understand that there are different uses of the word sin in the Bible, especially, and it's not an ironclad rule, there are times that that the grammar indicates that this not be accurate. But overall, when sin is a plural, it means one thing, and when sin is a singular, it means something else. Now, there are exceptions to that, but let me show you what I mean. Actually, in the comprehension of sin, the Bible presents three categories of sin, or three types, if you will. Now, listen carefully. First of all, the Bible presents sin as a power, or a principle, or a law that dwells in our members. Um, There are places in Scripture where when it uses sin in the singular, it's not talking about acts of sin, specific deeds. It's talking about sin as a principle or a law or a power. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. This will be worth your turning. And I want you to see what I mean. In Romans chapter 6 and 7, and even somewhat into chapter 8, we see sin presented not as specific acts, but as a power. Romans 6, look in verse 6. He says knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin, there it is, the power, the principle, this law of sin, he's not talking about a specific act, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sins. From sin, singular. Now, deeds of sin, listen carefully, flow out of this power or principle of sin. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, Oh, this is good. He not only dealt with sins, plural, he dealt with this power, this principle, this law of sin that dwells in our members. Look again at verse 6. He says that the old us, that's the one that sin had the authority over, the old us has been crucified with him, that this power, this principle, this body of sin might be destroyed. That's like Hebrews 2.14 a minute ago. The word destroyed there doesn't mean annihilated. The word destroyed means to lose power over to lose its dominion. Now, let me tell you something. If you're saved this morning, you know that there is some power. Romans 7, 23 says, that dwells within our members that's constantly pulling us to do that which we really don't want to do. And if you'll read Romans chapter 7, you'll find that if you're a believer, you'll see yourself in Romans 7 either where you are or where you have been. And if you don't see yourself in there and you never had a struggle with this, then you've got some serious examination to do before the Lord. But Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says, I have a desire deep down within me to please God. I want to obey the law of God. I want to please Him. That's the deepest desire of my heart. But he says, I find another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, that which I want to do. And he says that what I always find myself doing is I end up doing the very thing I don't want to do. And my heart doesn't really want to do it, but there's this pulling toward it, and I do it. And when I did it, I say, why did I do it? That wasn't what I wanted to do. Can you relate to that? Say amen or something. Uh... Boy, I can. And you say, ah, I did it again. I didn't want to do it. I hate this critical spirit. 
I hate this addiction that's pulling me down. I hate this filthy language that I constantly get. Oh, Lord, I want to be delivered from it. But I did it again. That's the power of sin. It's Satan's inroad into our life. Now, what he is saying is, as we'll see in a minute, that when he says we've been given victory over sin, he's talking about sin as a power. But then secondly, sin is also presented as specific acts of rebellion. When I choose to yield to that power of sin, it results in acts of sin. And by that, I'm talking about lust. I'm talking about adultery. I'm talking about lying. I'm talking about cheating. I'm talking about stealing. I'm talking about a critical spirit. I'm talking about any number of specific acts. It flows out of that power of sin that we yield to. Now, there's a third way sin is presented in the Scripture. Sin is not only presented as a power, and not only is it presented as specific acts of rebellion, sin is also presented as a stronghold. You see, when I continually yield in some area, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's some addiction, maybe it's a critical spirit, but I continue to yield to the power of sin resulting in these acts of sin, and I continue to do that, pretty soon that sin forms a stronghold in my life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, speaks of those sins which easily beset us. And that word beset means to wrap around. And I thought, what? And I, I began to study that. It's the picture of a vine that wraps itself around the tree and chokes off the fruit. And he says that as we give in, that sin begins to, begins to wrap itself around us until pretty soon it's got us in a stranglehold grip. And i got good news for you. God's got some weapons for the tearing down stronghold. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, he says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And we can take back the ground that we've given to him. And so that brings me then to the conquest of sin. We've seen that sin is presented as a power, specific acts of rebellion, as a stronghold. How do you walk in the victory that's ours? Well, first of all, you've got to recognize that the victory's already been won. And you don't say, I'm going to grit my teeth, Lord, and I'm going to overcome this, and you're going to be proud of me when I'm through. You're doomed to failure. You're saying, Lord, you, through the cross of Jesus Christ, have already given me victory over not only the power of sin, but specific acts of sin, and even the strongholds of sin in my life. It's already mine. Now, Lord, I want to appropriate that victory. How do you do that? First of all, you reckon on the truth. Back in Romans chapter 6, to me, the most, if not in the most important verse in Romans and maybe in the whole Bible, at least it fits up in the top ten, is Romans 6.11. I never see this on lists that people have that you ought to memorize, but listen to this. It says, likewise, reckon. Some of your translations will say consider. It means to count as true. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is that besetting sin that's entangled itself around your life? That thing that just seems to eat your lunch all the time, that just seem to, you constantly are falling into it. What is it? Well, the first step you need to do is just to sit down and say, enough's enough. Lord, I reckon that the only one that that had power over was the old me. And according to Romans 6, 6, Galatians 2, 20, as well as other verses, the old me was crucified with Christ. I am, I, I now reckon myself, the only one sin had authority over, to be dead indeed to sin. Power of sin's not dead. We're dead to sin. Notice secondly, not only do we reckon on truth, we choose righteousness. The next two verses. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But what do you do? Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. 
You see, not only do you reckon on the truth that sin has no authority over my life, I'm dead to that, now I am free to choose righteousness. Now listen carefully. If you've been born again, my friend, there is no sin that can get such a hold on your life that you say, I can't help it. And sometimes I talk with people and they'll say, I'm sorry, but I, I just can't help There's nothing I can do about it. Um, and I, I can remember, I, I don't remember when or where, or if this was something I was tempted. I think I did it, though. And I was asking my wife about it the other night, and she said, yeah, I remember you sharing it with me. And it was kind of drastic. I was kind of sorry when I did it. But I was talking to a lady one time, and um, I, I shared with her the victory that she had. And she just said, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. And I was sharing with her this principle about the victory that we've been given over sin. And, and, and I don't even remember who it was now, but I remember she just said, I can't do that. And I said, really? She said, no. And I picked up my Bible and threw it in the trash can. I said, well, I'm not going to believe it anymore then. And I said, because uh, it says you can, and it's God's Word, and you say you can't, so you're God one's lying. And she kind of changed. So, well, maybe I can, I'm just not. And I said, okay, now we're back. Pulled it back out of the trash can. I made sure it was clean in there before I threw my Bible in. But uh, I said, all right, now, then you come back. And I don't remember the verses I used, but what it's saying is that no... If you're a believer and you give in to sin, it's because you chose to. You don't have to. It has no more authority over your life. I reckon on the truth. And then I choose righteousness. And then thirdly, this is real practical, I become accountable within the body of Christ. Now, listen carefully. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we need each other. Now, you pull up real close. In this day of Lone Ranger Christianity, and you got people out there thinking that all they need is, you know, just give me old silver and take Tonto along every once in a while with me, but I'm the Lone Ranger and I can handle it. Just me and the Lord, that's enough. I want to tell you, you don't find that in Scripture. You don't find The Bible says there are 11 in the New Testament. There are 11 one another's in the New Testament where we need to be accountable one to another. And a part of that accountability is in holding each other accountable in those strongholds of sin. One of the things that God's doing in our church is we've got groups of men. I don't mean one group here and another group over there and two or three. I mean, we've got bunches of groups of men who meet together, many of them every week, some of them every other week, and they, they, some of them it's just one-on-one, some of them it's groups of two or three, and they're, they're praying for one another and holding each other accountable, asking each other tough questions. The women are now getting involved in this. And some of them are meeting and holding each other accountable, praying for one another. Listen... You need that accountability of the body. And let me say a word. Don't misunderstand me. If you've been visiting our church for three years or something and you've never, never joined, I'm not telling you you're not welcome and I'm not fussing at you, but I'm telling you something. It's God's norm that if you're a part of the mystical body of Christ, you've been saved, that you need to identify yourself with a local body. The physical manifestation of the, of the, 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 body, the mystical body of Christ is a local New Testament church and you need that accountability. And it's easy to just come and sit in a pew and not ever become accountable, but you need to be accountable to say, I want to get involved and I want to make myself a part of this local body. And so the way we have victory or that we walk in the victory that's already been given to us over sin is that we reckon on truth, we choose righteousness, we're accountable in the body. And then let me give you another one. Practice preventative praying. You know, I'm not real smart, but after a while I can figure some things out. And one day, I was praying, it was one night, I guess, and, and uh, no, it was one morning, and I was praying, and I was spending all my prayer time confessing sins that I had committed the day before. And I said, Lord, I keep coming to you with these same sins. And I said, something is wrong with this picture. And I said, Lord, 
I began to think about preventative medicine. It's the type of medicine that prevents you from getting sick. And I said, Lord, if I spent more time praying preventatively about these strongholds, these things I keep falling into, I'd have to quit. I wouldn't have as much time to spend confessing them. And so I started looking up passages in Scripture that dealt with those sins. I, I pulled it down to five. I called them the big five. There were five that I kept just falling into over and over. And so I would look up Scriptures beside each of those five. And every morning in my quiet time, I'd go through and I'd say, Now, Lord, unless your power just envelops me today and unless I walk in your strength, I'm going to fall again to this critical spirit. And so I claim your victory over it. I reckon myself to be dead indeed unto this specific sin, which is a result of the power of sin. And I now choose right now to walk in righteousness so that this critical spirit doesn't take over my life and cause me to fall and lose the blessing and the power and the joy that is mine in Christ Jesus and then just take them one by one, claim the Scriptures, looked up verses in Proverbs on the tongue and I begin to pray preventatively. I would pray, Lord, as I start down a path that's going to lead me in this sin today, may you send the Holy Spirit to grab me up by the nap of the neck and just shake me real good. And Lord, will you turn on the light, sound alarm bells and everything else when I start down a path that's going to lead me into this sin? And it was amazing what began to happen. I would start into some pattern that had been there before and I would start, people thought I was going crazy. I'd be in the middle of a sentence and the Holy Spirit would just say, critical spirit. And I'd hear that little voice and I'd say, never mind. He'd say, well, you go ahead and finish. You started. I said, never mind. What? I, you started. So what are you going to tell? Never mind. And they thought I was losing my mind. But that's what he does. You see... There is victory over sin that's already been won. And to walk in that victory, you simply reckon on truth, choose righteousness, make yourself accountable in the body, practice preventative praying. Now, one last thing. And our time's up, but could you just give me five minutes? I, I'll, I'll make it up to you sometime. It, don't, don't mark it down, though. Um, there's victory already won over Satan, over sin, and finally over self. Now, there's a famous line in a cartoon strip called Pogo. I don't know if any of you ever read that or not, but there's a famous line. Pogo says, We have met the enemy, and it was us. In my last church, I got up in a service, and I said, I can't remember if I said next Sunday or tonight. I think it was a Sunday morning, and I said, Tonight. I said, Tonight, I'm going to announce from the pulpit person in this church that's given me more trouble than anybody else. And I've had it with them, and I'm going to expose them publicly from the pulpit. Oh, it made for a tense service that night. And of course, you already got it figured out. I said, that person is me. Uh, it's self. Now, what do we mean when we talk about self? And before we say that, let me make a statement. Now, this sounds like just a little tongue twister, but it's not. Self will never be victorious over self. You see, there's some who are taking the manifestations of the self-life and in your own strength you're trying to overcome it. I'm just going to grit my teeth and I'm going to try real hard and I'm not going to... Do self will never overcome self. The victory has already been won and it is not to be attained. Jesus has already attained it. It's to be received. Now... Let's look at the meaning of self. When we talk about self, we're not talking about your basic personality. God made you with a special, unique personality and He doesn't want you to become like everybody else. Have you ever thought about how God loves variety? He didn't make any two fingerprints alike. He didn't make any two snowflakes alike. God looks likes variety. I, look, I just look out at you all and I see a tremendous amount of variety just in your look. Now, that's not derogatory. That's just a statement of fact. 
Um, God likes variety. He's not interested in us becoming a bunch of clones and cookie cutters. It was God's cookie cutter clones. He's, it was God's plan that Christ Jesus in us live out His life through our unique personality so that in diversity, the person of Christ, the glory of God, is being seen through all these different facets of our unique personality. So when we talk about dealing with self, we're not talking about your basic personality. Now, what do we mean when we talk about self? Let me just define it. Self or flesh is another way, another word that's used for it in the Bible. Self is living out of my own resources and allowing my old ways and my old programming to control my life. And control is the key word. It's when I, out of my own resources and out of my old programming, that's what controls my life instead of Christ. Now listen. There are some of you sitting right here in this room right now, this afternoon. And your life is being controlled by a mother or a daddy who's been in the grave for years. There are some of you who had a perfectionist parent who you could never quite measure up and they're gone now and you're still trying to measure up and that's still controlling your life. There are some of you who went through abusive situations and though that person may be dead or at least way out of your life, what happened to you way back there is still controlling your life. That's self. Now, I'm going to say something that can be construed as being cruel, but I say it in love. Quit being a victim. And quit this stuff of, well, the reason I'm like I am is because of what my mother did to me, what my daddy did to me, what this person did to me. That's made me like I am. Take responsibility for your life. Jesus says, cut out the excuses. You've been through tough times. You've not been to a cross yet. And he says, I died there that you might have victory over all the junk in your past, all the traumatic experiences, all of the old programming. He says, I have died that you might have victory. Now, there are all kinds of manifestations of self. Self sometimes manifests itself. People laugh all the time. Do you ever notice that people laugh all the time are trying to hide who they really are? Sometimes it's workaholism. Sometimes it's, it's uh, uh, people who are always sarcastic, got little comebacks. Those are little tools. Sometimes well, there's all different kinds of self. Self manifests itself in self-pity, self-consciousness, self-depreciation, self-exaltation, self-justification, self-confidence. Yeah, I can handle whatever comes along. And that independent spirit, that's just a manifestation of rotten self is all it is. Now let's look at the mastering of self. God has one remedy. And God's remedy is the cross. And we try to fix up self and make self acceptable, and God says, I want a funeral. I want a funeral. And he says that that old programming, that which is controlling you out of your past, he says, I want the cross applied to it so that it no longer is controlling you, but Christ is controlling you. And when in Luke 9, 23, put it this way, he says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. Crosses weren't for carrying. Crosses were for dying on it. And if you found somebody cry, carrying one, it was because they were on their way to die on it. And he says, I want the cross applied to your life. I want a funeral. And you say, all of that old junk in my life, the only one it has the authority to rule is the old me. And the old me's been crucified with Christ. And I am now set free from all of that. Christ then is allowed to come into the center of our life 
in the person of His Spirit and control our life, fill our life. And then as Galatians 5, 17 says, we can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the old self-life, the flesh. Now, this book, which is truth, says that if you're in Christ Jesus, you are victorious. Victorious over Satan, victorious over sin, and victorious over self. Now, you face a choice. Are you going to reckon on that and claim that and allow that to control you, that truth? Or are you going to keep living based on how you feel and what you've always been told? It's your choice. But in Christ Jesus, there is victory. I want your ears to hear your mouth say something. I want you to say this with me. If you're in Christ this morning, you've been saved and you know you're saved, I want you to repeat this after me. Whether you feel like it's true or not, it's true. I want you to just say with me, I have victory in Jesus. Would you say that? I have victory in Jesus. Say it like you really mean it. I have victory in Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's bow our heads together.